please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our sermon today is from Psalm 121. These are God's words. A song of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to stumble. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will not slumber and will not sleep. Yahweh is your keeper. Yahweh is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Yahweh will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in from now until forever. Amen. You can take your seats. Now, I did say to a few of you this week that I'd be preaching a second sermon on Psalm 120 today about freedom of speech in the New Covenant age, but I decided after putting in a fair few hours of prep that I'd put that one down and put it on hold. I do intend to preach that sermon at some point, but I want to do a really good job with that one, which means I need more time. I believe that the ideas around political freedoms or human rights are a key thing that the church worldwide will need to address and shore up in the coming years as we give the world a better, biblically grounded political philosophy. So instead, we are continuing our series through the Psalms of Ascent with Psalm 121, as we just read. And through this psalm, God is going to speak to us about very different things this morning, immediately practical things. And I have to be honest, I was very glad to put down that heavy subject of political theory yesterday. So the title and first line of our psalm today says, A psalm of ascents, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Now we've talked about the meaning of psalms of ascent many times now, and I've even referred to this particular verse in other sermons. I used it to explain and frame the pilgrim's journey to Jerusalem for worship. This psalm is essentially the second of 15 steps to worship, and we are still way off from Jerusalem at this point, looking to the mountains that surround that city. We have been learning in this series, through the pilgrimage that God gave to Israel, that God dwells in high places, so all Christians in every age are to look up and to go up to the place God dwells. This psalmist, in this particular psalm, understood this too and began his song by preaching to himself, determining in himself to look up to the mountains, to look to where the maker of heaven and earth has made his dwelling place. He says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. These first two words, I will, are important. He's determining within himself where his eyes must be turned. They will be lifted That is where they ought to be. People today, instead of looking up, are heaping up skin under their chin. They're almost permanently looking down. Of course, it is totally permissible to look down. But there is something symbolic here that must be understood. There is a connection to be made between the symbolism used in this psalm and the way that people live. Remember, David said, Why are you downcast? O my soul, when he was depressed. A downward-looking soul objectively communicates a disordered gaze. Downcast, looking down. 
anxious people look down at their feet. They cannot look you in the eye, or at least they find it hard to do so, so they look down. Naval gazers, selfish people, do not look beyond themselves and end up being full of insecurity. There is a perverse kind of looking down that is seen in the world around us as people try to find security and stability in themselves. They are attempting to find strength by looking down. The psalmist is finding his security by looking upward, and he was right to do so. Looking up is the only way to find the kind of help that every man, woman, and child needs. Now, I want to go out on a limb here a little bit. I don't really know how to articulate this connection in a solid way, but I think there is something here to consider. Our society, our culture as a whole, has joyfully embraced looking down at their phones for much of the day. If Satan is the prince of the power of the year, the one that all the lost people of the world are following, and he most certainly is, it makes sense that he would use his influence to keep our eyes down, both spiritually and physically, to keep our eyes off the literal mountains, to keep our eyes off the world around us. The maker of the world, the maker of the world around us is constantly preaching through it, and Satan wants to suppress the speech by any means. Satan would want us to have permanent neck folds, to be constantly depressed and anxious, to have our eyes off reality, to have us never consider the most important and fundamental truths of this world. So fellow followers of Christ, we need to be careful to have our eyes upward, to be intentionally checking in, to be intentionally looking to the place that ascending worshipers ought to be going. We need to be preaching to ourselves, as the psalmist did, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. That means something. And without making legalistic standards or pushing this too far, this has to have some application to our cell phones, especially if we're using them for five hours a day. I'm going to leave it at that. With With this being said, please allow me to go on another tangent for a bit. It is possible that someone, and I'm not not saying any of you, but someone might think my cell phone comments were a bit of a stretch being given this text to preach. But it is undeniable that the thinking and practices of our culture have caused us to be a disengaged and unserious people. The word of God can cut through and dismantle the strong influences of the culture, but only if the word is seriously and rigorously applied and the truth is pushed out into the corners. If it isn't, we will remain as Satan would love us to be, unshaken and comfortably numb in this world. So we need to be shaken. We need to be challenged to think about what it is to be in a part of a culture that is constantly looking down. And is there something of spiritual significance to this culture of downcast eyes? I'm guilty of this. I check my Facebook while taking my dog for a walk. So I'm on on the hook too. My my eyes would have been on other things. They would have been upward in former times, taking in my surroundings. We exist in a satanically influenced culture, and his influences will shape us too if we go with the flow. We should check everything. Check if this is how God wants us to live. 
So if Satan is using cell phone use to make the world numb, it could be making us numb too. It could be robbing us of the ability to properly engage at church and in worship. He would love us to be sitting in our seats at church each week, numb to the fact that we are in the very presence of the all-powerful, invisible God. You have thought about this, that this morning, right? The invisible God of the universe is here ministering to us. <clears throat> one, to, one way to avoid the danger of this numbness is to be intentionally looking up. Looking up is not just a one-time Sunday morning ascent kind of thing. All of life is worship, and all of life is an ascent. So we must continually keep our eyes on the things above. This is what we are commanded to do, right? Colossians 3, 1-3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ and God. You are always going to be looking to something. The question is, will you lift your eyes? They are by default aimed downward, down on the things of this world. It takes no effort to keep your eyes down here. The Christian life is about intentionally pulling your eyes off the enticements of the world and raising them toward higher things, the things of God. As Non said last week, this looking up is not a heavenly mindedness that is no earthly good. It is about drawing strength, drawing help from above as you live in this world for God. We are, in a sense, to be so heavenly minded that we might be some earthly good. That's what our psalmist was doing. This idea of drawing help from above, from the God who dwells on mountaintops, is in the next few lines of our psalm. So connected to this looking up to the mountains, the psalmist says, from where shall my help come from? My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. Of all of the possible places that the psalmist could draw help, he chooses to draw help from one invisible source. He rejects all other earthly sources of help and draws help from Yahweh. This is what faith does. This is the conviction of things unseen, as Hebrews 11 puts it. This is faith. This kind of faith is totally absurd to the natural mind, to those who are living by the fleshly, worldly wisdom of men, by their natural eyes only. To put your hope in an unseen source of help is totally impractical to them. A pie-in-the-sky kind of idea. That's where that saying came from. It messes with your naturalistic, pragmatic calculations. It defies rational thought to them. This faith can even offend people because it essentially denies the claims of carnal power and the abilities of men. This faith, the one that we have, refuses to, pr to promote and participate in the socialistic answers to our social problems. We place our faith in the application of biblical law ignoring how the pragmatic alarmists might run the math. <clears throat> the main point is, you really have to believe in the power of an invisible God if you're going to trust in his solutions to your problems. 
And do we believe in his power, Redwood? Of course we do. That is what we will trust in. There is an all-powerful God in the heavens who is the only reliable source of help. And it is wise for us to put all of our faith in him. Paul contrasts the wisdom of placing your faith in God to the wisdom of placing your faith in carnal power in his first letter to the Corinthians. He said, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, in the context, this wisdom is the cross, but all of his wisdom goes beyond that too. But this is life and salvation coming through death and sacrifice. That is a hidden wisdom to the world. It is absurdity, foolishness to them. That has been imparted to us as wisdom. And it goes on to say, None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers of that age did not understand the wisdom of God. It was hidden from them. They had no faith to see it. Instead, they had faith in their power and plans, carnal power, so they killed the Lord of glory. That was wisdom to them. They did not believe in the power of God. Before this, Paul explained that true power, the power the lost didn't understand, was being demonstrated in the faith of those who were being saved. It's resurrection power. The invisible power of the Spirit was seen in that people were being changed through mere words, through the gospel. This is the power of the gospel unto salvation. Paul said, speaking about his ministry, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, that's the wisdom of the world, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When we were saved, we were taught to rest our faith in the invisible power of God and not the wisdom of men. We were taught that the help we ought to depend on comes from the Lord, from Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. And this is wisdom, not like the wisdom of this world, but a wisdom that takes into account all of reality, the things that are seen and the things that are not seen. The world foolishly takes into account less than half of reality. It does not account for the very real unseen realities. Paul put it this way in the same chapter. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It is incredibly foolish for the world to consider our faith in the invisible God folly. Why? Because there is truly an invisible God over this universe. He is the maker of the heaven and earth. He made it all, everything, by the power of his word. And it makes sense for us, mere creatures, to place our faith in that God. Is there anyone more powerful? Is there anyone more in control? Is anything impossible for him? It could be easy for us to miss the importance of the second line of verse 2, because we hear it all the time. It says, My help comes from Yahweh, 
who made heaven and earth. The fact that God made all things is a profound, weighty and practical doctrine. It is dumb to not trust in him. He made everything. That is why Paul calls the Christian faith wisdom. It makes sense to trust in the one who made all things. What are you going to do? Trust Christopher Luxon, one of five million brains to run our country? Or do you want the will of the God who made and sustains the eight billion brains on this planet, knowing what is going on in all of them all at once? Are you going to trust in him? Or are you going to trust in Christopher Luxon? Don't be a dummy. It makes sense to trust in the maker of all things. But are we doing that? Do you trust in God as the maker of heaven and earth? Do we trust in God as the one who truly has in his hands all created things to dispose however he wishes? The invisible God who is in this very room, who is sustaining all things by the word of his power, are you trusting in him? The fact that we don't at times shows how truly foolish, how dumb our sinfulness is. Even as Christians, we live like evolutionists. We live as though there is no maker in control of his creation. But though we sin in this way, how does God look upon us? Is he surprised? Does it cause him to be distant? No. The psalm teaches us differently. He keeps us. God is gracious towards us. He loves to forgive us. He gives us his word and the ministry of his church to increase our faith, to strengthen us, and to keep us from failing again. On our ascent to heaven, he is beckoning us to wisdom, to look up and to place our faith in the all-powerful, invisible God. He increases our faith through the ministry that he appoints on our ascent. Paul said this to the church at Ephesus. Notice how he expresses his desire that they would increase in faith through the ministry of God. He says, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints. So this is the initial faith. He's seen the seed of their faith. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, in the heavenly places. So this is tying together a bunch of the things that we've considered so far. As the eyes of our heart are enlightened through the ministry of God, we will increasingly look upward, placing our faith in our enthroned Savior, Jesus Christ, for the help that we need. Now we have considered how Yahweh, being the maker of all things, bolsters our confidence in his help. In verse 3 and 4, the psalmist gives us another reason to place our faith in him. These verses say, He would not, not allow your foot to stumble. 
he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will not slumber and will not sleep. The psalmist places confidence in the unseen God because he is not encumbered by the need to sleep. He does not sleep at all. So he is always awake and alert to our need. God's constant consciousness is something that makes us very different to God. Being human, we have many weaknesses, but we are most vulnerable when we lose consciousness to sleep. This is why Delilah took down the strongest man to ever live in his sleep. This is why the most powerful kings in ancient times needed trusted guards to watch over them as they slept. This is why ancient cities needed a night watchman on the wall. You are as good as dead if your enemy has access to you in your sleep. You can put up no resistance, and God made it that way. As a side note, this is a reality that wise Christian leaders ought to take into their battle strategy. Where are our enemies sleeping? Where are they vulnerable? Where the enemy sleeps is a great point of attack in a place that we might take some ground. For example, the people of this world are abandoning their elderly. They're sleeping on their care, and they must be looked after. If the church rose up and took care of these poor people, I think it could grant us access around the back to more fortified areas of Satan's domain. I'm not suggesting this is the way of advance, but this is the kind of thinking that we're going to have to incorporate into our strategy if we're going to take Rotorua for Christ. <clears throat> but back to my main point, God has made mankind in such a way that we must lay down all of our earthly power for large portions of our life with sleep. We take this for granted somewhat, right? Because what are you going to do about it? As much as our children might try, it is futile to try and stay awake forever. Most people submit to their need to sleep without giving a second thought to it. And we all know on some level that this laying down of consciousness is for our good. We wake up better for having slept. <clears throat> But for the most perceptive of people, that is, those who have spiritual discernment, sleep teaches us that we are always dependent on the sleepless one. Sleep preaches of man's dependence on God. David shows us that he understood this and had made his peace with the vulnerability that he had during his sleep. In Psalm 4 he says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Yahweh, Make me to abide in safety. Our psalmist today says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will not slumber and will not sleep. Notice that first word, behold. The psalmist is saying, Look, see with your spiritual eyes right now. Look with insight into the unseen realm. Take note and live by this fact. He who keeps Israel, the invisible God, the one who made covenant with you, who is working for your good from heaven, he will not slumber and he will not sleep. His covenantal faithfulness does not end with the night. He is a faithful watchman that will not sleep because he does not sleep. One key word in the psalm is the word keep. Have a look over the, the psalm now and you'll see that the word keep or keeper is used six times. 
In the next sermon, we're going to consider the specific ways the psalmist highlights the keeping power of God. But today we are narrowing our focus to the supports the psalmist gives for trusting in the God who keeps Israel. These supports are God being the maker of heaven and earth and that God never sleeps. These supports should strengthen our faith in God in every situation. And as I've already pointed out, we often forget them and do not live by them. It was striking to me when I read Calvin's commentary on this psalm that he saw these strong supports for our faith were rarely used in his day. They did not produce in Christians the kind of confidence that they should. This is what he said in one part. How few are to be found who yield to God the honor of being a keeper in order that their being thence assured of their safety and led to call upon him in the midst of their perils. On the contrary... Even when we seem to have largely experienced what this protection of God implies, we yet instantly tremble at the noise of a leaf falling from a tree, as if God had quite forgotten us. Surely what Calvin saw in his day is more true in ours. If the church lifted up their eyes to the mountains and placed their faith in the invisible, always active maker of the universe, we would be an unstoppable force in the world. Our fears would be gone and our sacrifices would be great. So let's finish by considering some ways that believing in these invisible truths can help us practically here at Reedwood in our everyday lives. When your alarm goes off in the morning and you flip your legs over the side of the bed and you remind yourself of how you are being called to die a thousand times over, And then you remind yourself of how life is a long ascent to heaven and how you are to set your mind on things above. Remember also that God never sleeps. This is not just a trite fact. It's something that we have to have in our mind. He is always conscious of what you are going through. The presence of an active and invisible God was what gave the psalmist confidence while he was on his ascent. In the same way, We are not alone in anything that we do. It is by his power and in his presence that we make our ascent. Our foot cannot slip because he is guiding our very feet. The earthly ascent we are making is being supported by heavenly powers. So when you're about to be picked up for work, or as you sit in your car about to go into the workshop, Draw confidence from the presence of your covenant-keeping God. Look upward to him, consider him, and ask for help. Bring him into your workplace. Believe in his invisible power. And then, there's going to be times throughout the day where your confidence might be shaken. When it is, or if it is, that is because you are sinful. Your eyes will naturally be drawn down by the world and your flesh. But you know what you're supposed to do when that happens, right? Look up again to the one who at all times isn't sleeping, who is watching over you. He was there when you were with your foul-mouthed co-worker. He's not shaken by your lack of faith in that moment. He sympathizes with us in our weakness and delights in our repentance. He knows that you will be repenting over and over again. He understands the nature of this problem of sin. He wants to keep 
and support a repentant people who call on him for help time and time again. Get back on the ascent and find joy in the redeeming love of God toward you, a sinner. Mothers, when you wake to the cries of your children, (laughs) when you wake to the cries of your children and begin to mourn the loss of your sleep, remember God is up with you in the night. He's not sleeping now, and he wasn't when you were snoring 10 minutes ago. He knows what you need, and he'll give it to you if you ask for it. Remember that as you rise from your bed, you are on an ascent. That attending your child is worship. The journey up the hall to the cot is your appointed pilgrimage. God sees it and is pleased with you. He sees your sacrifice for fruitfulness, for his service. So ask yourself, will he not help you and keep you as you obey? He is the maker of the universe. He has all of the resources of the planet at his disposal. Believe this and take confidence in him. And when you finally get back to your bed, pray and ask that the God who never sleeps will care for your child when you do. If you're waiting on a wife or a husband, what is this passage preaching to you today? What should we be placing our faith in? God is not sleeping. He knows your desires. He will not give you a stone if you ask for bread. The maker of all things made Adam from the dirt and Eve from a rib so he he can make you a husband fit for you if that is what you truly need. Children, you are young and there is so much you don't know about the world and your future. You can see that day coming way off in the future where you're going to have to leave mum and dad and take care of yourself, and that can be pretty scary. Every kid your age can scare themselves thinking about the responsibility that is coming. Let me reason with you for a bit. If God made you and loves to take care of you, and if he has all the power in the world to do whatever he wants, would he not help you to do the things that scare you? If you are supposed to do them. I was a pretty scared kid growing up. And it was made worse because I didn't consider what the invisible God might do to help me if I asked him. I didn't really believe in invisible things. I relied on myself at all times and usually tried to avoid everything that was difficult. But you were made to do difficult things. God wants you to do them. You've got to be an adult one day. And that is a lifelong difficult climb. So it makes sense to ask for God's help now and to face all that scares you. That is how you get to the top. Would the God who has the power to make all things not have enough power to help you do that? And if he doesn't sleep, if he never looks away from your situation, will he ever not know what you need at any given time? There is no reason to worry about the future if you trust in the maker of heaven and earth. Now this has been a slightly shorter sermon this week because I had to basically drop my other sermon. But I hope you've been encouraged to put your faith in the unseen maker of the universe this morning. The God who does not sleep or slumber and will keep your soul from evil. 
we need to be constantly preaching these things to ourselves because our eyes naturally drop to our surroundings. Behold, there is a God in the heavens. Look up and place your faith in him. Let's pray. Now we're going to sing this psalm to the tune of God Moves in Mysterious Ways again. Now the reason why I've chosen that tune again is I actually found out that that is the tune that pretty much everyone sings it in. It's actually the Scottish Psalter, how they sing it. A lot of the Reformed churches sing it in this, in this tune. So now I've got a double up of the same tune on, this, on another psalm of ascent, so I might have to change the other one. But um, we'll do this because this is how people are singing it around the world, and I think it'd be good if we could join them if we end up visiting their churches or things like that. So I'll call Mal Ford. I lift my eyes up to the hills from where could come my aid. My help comes only from Yahweh who heaven allow your foot to slip, nor rest while you he keeps. For he who watches Israel, he slumbers not nor sleeps. Yahweh's your keeper, he keeps watch, he's shade at your right hand. The sun won't harm you in the Yahweh will keep you from all harm, he'll keep your life secure. You're going out and coming in, Yahweh keeps evermore. Amen.